Welcome back. Episode 44, All the Fly Kids Show. I'm your host, Geronimo Knows. I'm a dolo as far as hosts go uh, today, but it's all good. You know, I started dolo, so, you know, I'm, I'm good with that. But um, today's guest, brother, hailing from Washington, D.C., he has, he's like an OG when it comes to just like creating in the city for for the region, for the area, you know what I mean? He has been around since it was just the DC area. He's been around back when we was calling it the Middle East. He's been around, we started calling it DMV and was one of the people who definitely championed that movement. You may be familiar with a lot of his music that he's, he's worked on, a lot of the projects he's been a part of. You might've been in a photo shoot he once put together on U Street. <laughs> You might even follow his uh his blog <laughs> for the DMV only, which he has been running for how long now? Since 08. 08. 08. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it's going on 10 years. 08. Uh, so without further ado, this creative brother here today, we've got tapes and beat breaks with Judah. What's up? What's up, man? Appreciate you coming on? in, sir. Hey, man, we've been trying to set this up for a minute, so I'm glad we can finally get it done, you know what I mean? Absolutely, man. You know, I mean, you're a busy brother. You're a busy man. I know you're... you're We're all busy. You, you know? know, but you're, you're, you're transatlantic now. I mean, yeah, that's, the, that's <laughs> where the money at, man. That's where the money and the work and the peace of mind at, you know? You know, but we're going to get into all of that. Uh, but just tell everybody um, where you're from, what part of, uh, what part of the city you're from. I'm from Northeast, uh, Benning Road, Clay Street er area. Um, you know, left there and went over to Capitol Heights, Lodgemont area, um, Glacier Avenue, that whole, you know, area over there, mm -hmm. Suitland, Swan Road. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been around, you know. You've been in all the traps. Yeah, all, all the traps, <laughs> all the hoods. Um, seen a little bit of everything, D.C., Maryland. Never lived in Virginia, but uh, D.C., Maryland, yeah, been everywhere. So what was what was life for you growing up um, out here? Like, what was what was the city like? What was the area like when you was coming up? I mean, it was um, you know, it was, you know, of course, it was a different time, man. I, you know, I'm I don't want to tell my age, but I mean, I'm late thirty, so you're talking about a time where you know, Gogo -Go was strong. The scene was a little different than what it is now. Um, you know, we were very very DC Maryland centric focused you know we mm -hmm. had our own vibe our own clothing mm -hmm. our own lingo yep you know our own music so it was a little bit different um you know it was coming off of that crack boom mm -hmm. you know music fashion um the independent mindset was just really setting in and everybody was just you know was just trying to get it you know what i mean it's mm -hmm. a different different time a different vibe mm -hmm. As I try to think back, um, you know, I don't. I have a lot of fond memories, but it was just, it was a very, very um, creative and empowering time to be independent, to be you, to be proud, to be from the area. You talk know about, talk about that a little bit. Why why are you saying it was a, an empowering time to be creative and independent? Because um, you know, back in the uh, mid to late 90s you're talking about um you know clothing wise let's just start with clothing like you had a lot of clothing companies like hobo shooters madness abstract mm -hmm. um that was the wave the embroidery yes. you know having a shop mm -hmm. you know going to get your hobo going to vegas wearing hobo get your name shooters, and your yeah, number on the get, back getting everything um embroidered and having your whole sweatsuit with your 
New Balance or your Tim's or whatever. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, but that was that was the wave. That was the independent wave. Yeah. That was the entrepreneurial wave. Mm-hmm. That was the business-minded wave. Yes. Um, you know, unfortunately, we don't have those shops anymore. We don't have those clothing lines anymore. And basically, we don't have that uh, sense of, of, of culture anymore. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that has left. Also, you take it to the music. Back then, you had a lot of street labels that were ran by street dudes that through street shows that <laughs> sold CDs out their car, you know what I'm saying, through their own shows, through their own open mics. So it was a little bit different, too, from music. You know, internet wasn't what it was today, what it is today. And, you know, it's just that inner, that entrepreneurial mindset, that street, that hustler mindset. Because um, I remember, that's how I got started. A lot of street labels really... Uh, you know, gave me money to make beats and record them yeah. and do stuff. And they were selling their music, selling their mixtapes, and throwing their shows. You know okay. what I mean? So that's what I mean by it's just a little bit different, a little bit more empowering because, you know, you really had to just really get out there and make some money, you know, do your own thing. So I think that same type of vibe still exists today, even yeah, though, you exists, know, yeah. the, the city and the area has changed a lot since since then you still here because a lot of the same infrastructures creatively don't exist like they do in some other mm-hmm, cities. Mm-hmm. You you still got to get out and like make something out of nothing and like, right, you right. know. That's everywhere and, and every generation and every um, decade, every generation. But what I mean is um, just the methods to doing that. The, 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 the energy put into it was a little bit different, mm-hmm. you know cats back then wanted to own what they were doing yes they wanted to, yes you know they wanted it wanted it to be dc specific right you get what i'm saying i got you i got you um now you know most of our culture you know it looks like just the rest of the culture from atlanta new york <laughs> you know what i mean like it's all like blended in together that, that's that um, digital age yeah but you know back then you know prime example Years ago, I used to go to the Vegas fights and everything. And when you went to a Vegas fight, you would see somebody with a madness or abstract or a hobo sweatshirt on mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. a whole fit or New Balance. And you can look at him and be like, yeah, that Bama from D.C. Yeah. And sometimes you would converse with him. Sometimes you mug him and grit on him. That's just how we roll. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah. You know, we basically could go anywhere and – had a temper taper or whatever you yeah. could really figure it out so you know now we all just blend it yeah you know what i'm saying so that's uh a actual you know memory that i remember is going out there and being in the mgm grand and just you would see it bama's from your area out yeah. there, and you would know it and y'all would stick together or y'all would beef you know whatever so <laughs> uh but that's what i mean Okay, and it's funny you mentioned the Temple Taper. Um, I remember when I was living in Harlem, okay. I met a barber from up there, mm-hmm. and he was telling me, like, yeah, man, you know, back in the day, back in the 80s, back when I was hustling, i go down to D.C. or whatever. Man, they put me on to the Temple Taper down there. Like, wasn't nobody doing that? So I brought that shit back up here. Temple Taper is <laughs> D.C., man. You had a right Temple Taper, you, you was good. You know what I mean? And it's made its way back out there. Yeah. Everybody, you know. Yep. 
And he from said, everywhere. He said that. He said he said that too. He's right. like, you see it everywhere in Miami. Everywhere. You know. So, but that's the DC thing, the timber table. People right. almost forget that. So yeah. y'all y'all heard it here, okay? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just in case y'all didn't know. But so you said earlier, a lot of the, um, a lot of record labels, a lot of street guys that started. Um, a lot of them had like reached out to you to get them get you to work with them. So even before that, what got you started making music? Like, what was the influence there? I mean, I've always liked music. I didn't really understand the process of making music, but mm-hmm. I always liked music being from here. Um, you know, you just grow up on go-go, live instrumentation. Yep. Um, you know, fortunately enough, I was I was blessed to go play football and get a scholarship and go to Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And so when I went to Pittsburgh, a brother that I met up there, um, who actually just moved to D.C. like two years ago, a year and a half ago, but he was from Indiana. Mm-hmm. And he took me to his house in Indiana on one of the weekends from Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And he had a studio in his house. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen that before. Like drum machines and mixing boards and everything. And I wasn't really trying to touch it or mess with it, but he kind of sparked that in my mind. Like, bro, you go to a magazine, you can order whatever you want yeah. out of my magazine. Mm-hmm. And get a drum machine, get a four-track recorder. So I saw his studio, and from that point on, I ordered me a drum machine, started messing around, tinkering around with it, keyboard here and there. And I just started messing around with it, yeah. you know what I mean? And then when I start, got out of school and started playing football, you know, trying to go to the league and everything, and that stopped. And then I was like, what am I going to do? You know what I mean? So you're talking about around 2000, 2001. So I had a keyboard and I had a drum machine and I was doing it out of out of the back of my father's house. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, I don't know what sparked it in my mind or what sparked it. I was going, messing with this dude um, named Mac. He was a producer uh, from a group called uh, BWC, Baltimore Washington Committee. Okay. Rap group, you know, really on that hip hop, hip hop. And he had a studio on St. Barnabas Road and I used to go see him. And so when I used to go see him, I used to run into the dude that owned the building. Okay. And so when I ran into him, you know, I was like, how much one of these spots costs? And he told me, and he was just like, man, I got a room, you know, I just need to occupy. I give you the first month free or something. And, you know, it was like $75, 100 bucks or something like that. So it wasn't that bad. I, I could do it. I don't know. What is it about St. Barnabas Road and studios? <laughs> yeah. So that was my first spot over there, 2000, yeah. 2001. I, I know a lot of guys yeah. over the years who've had studios yeah. in, in that vicinity. Yeah. And I was over there for probably about, you know, eight, nine years mm-hmm. until I got built the second one. But, um, I mean, that's just how it happened, kind of naturally like that. But, you know, my first actual time, and I know you know DJ Heat, but DJ Heat actually remembers when um, – I used to utilize the Washington City paper a lot. Yes, yes. So people don't. People may remember, but Heat he remembers specifically. Um, but I used to put ads in the city paper, mm-hmm. and there was a technique that you could do to get it, put an ad in the city paper for free. Okay. And so I used to utilize that technique mm-hmm. every. I used to. Ha- you have to have your ad in by Thursday. Okay. So I used to utilize that by the mail mm-hmm. and mail it in and used to run these ads like, nah, you don't want no Scarface beats. You want some stuff sampled. <laughs> you want, you know, a different sound. Come see me. Yeah. And I used to put that in the city paper. Yeah, because at, at that time, even well into the, the 2000s, like, 
that rap a lot scarface yeah, you that know, was the sound you know that was the sound yeah that, that was the sound. <laughs> i mean so, you could go to certain parts of the city to this day and still hear you know people bumping that bumping right. that rap a lot faithfully right and so that was my thing like you know i was a little different with it like because i had a a sonic a eps which is a keyboard a sampling keyboard so i used to sample a lot mm -hmm. back then so i was never playing i never was taught music so i used to just sample records mm -hmm. my father records and and things like that and so that was just my marketing way to try to be different and then you know like i say he and a lot of people still that i know from back in that time like man i remember you used to do that and, <laughs> that and so that was my first thing and then you know people used to call me come out of my father's house listen to beats and then one time this dude came by and i forgot his name but he came by and um you know, I was playing him some beats. He was like, man, that sound cool. That sound cool. I like that. How much you want for that? And then, you know, me being a business major, as soon as he said how much you want for that, yeah. that's when I realized that I can make money. You want to something. I can be a, I can do business. Right, right. So I sold it for like 50 bucks. And then he was like, all right, man, I'm going to come see you in two weeks, you know. So then he came and saw me two weeks later, and he was like, how much you want for that? Mm -hmm. And then as a businessman, I'm like, you're not gonna offer me fifty again. You gonna ask me how much? <laughs> I'ma raise the price. Yeah, on. yeah, yeah. And so you know that's kind of how I realized that I can make money off beats, mm -hmm. music. Who were some and, of the, Who were some of the artists that you were sampling back then? I mean, I was sampling like I used to sample this one war record, like "Slipping in the Darkness," "A Million Ways," "Al okay. Green." My father, you know, the same joints everybody sampled, and I would just flip it and do something different on the on the EPS and try to do something a little bit, you know, my sound. But, you know, I used to make beat tapes back then. Like, I used to do it all, but it's the same records. Mm -hmm. You know, he had the same soul records everybody, everybody had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The same rock, psychedelic rock records. So it was one of those things where I was just sampling whatever, but it was just different for the area because mm -hmm. the area was on that slow, dark, and I was just sampling and making hip hop. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So So you were great you were more influenced by just like, you know, that 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 East Coast type of hip hop sound. Yeah, I like that. You know, um, you know, like that. I was drawn to I was drawn to Go Go, no doubt. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But, you know, when I heard like Eric B and Rock Kim or mm -hmm. Molly Maul the Symphony or her, you know, uh EPMD stuff like that. Yeah, that was like, yo, that's different. And then what really hit the complexity me was of the layering and everything that like that too. But what really hit me was, um, Bama's don't remember um, Herbie Lovebug. Yes, I do. So Herbie <laughs> Lovebug made was the producer behind Salt and Pepper and um, Kid and Play. Kid and Play. And what he did was he took a lot of go go loops, Trouble Funk junkyard mm -hmm. and he sampled and made their hits mm -hmm. off of go-go and i was like damn that's new york hip-hop but it got a go-go swing yeah yeah so that made me really interested in just music and like how's he because i know he ain't got no go-go band doing that mm -hmm. it don't sound like no go how he doing it yeah and then that's when i realized he was sampling mm -hmm. so that kind of sparked my interest and just little things like that kind of piqued my interest in terms of how things were done you know okay. what i mean okay so it's a lot of a lot of couple different uh 
incidents that happened that made me really get into music, but those are ones that I can remember. Okay. And so once you got a steady following, steady, uh, a steady uh, list of clients, clients right? Mm -hmm. um, what was your next step from there? You decided you were going to start a production company. Did you do the whole, like, I'm going to go shop my beats to, like, the big labels? Like, what was the next step from there once you knew, like, okay, people in D.C., they rocking with me. Mm -hmm. What's the next move? I mean, so I got the studio. Um, I got the office space because I don't classify it as a studio. But mm -hmm. I got the office space, and I was just really just doing the city paper, mm -hmm. trumping up business, selling beats. I started um, doing my own mixtapes. Okay. And, and it was different because I'm not a DJ. I wasn't a DJ at the time. But mm -hmm. what I would do is I had my homeboy in New York who used to send me all the exclusives. Because okay. back then, you go to Canal Street, you get every. Yeah. So he knew guys that was, you know, giving out exclusive DJs and everything. So he used to send me records. And so I used to take those records and put them on a mixtape. And I used to take. DC Maryland artists and put them on those same mixtapes. Okay. Okay. And so um, I used to do that. And, um, you know, I used to, I didn't used to charge the artists. So mm -hmm. I used to say, hey, you want to get on the mixtape? I'm not going to charge you. Just come to the studio. You got an hour, lay something down. I'll put it on the mixtape. But in order for you to get the mixtape, you got to, I'm going to wholesale it to you. Mm hmm. So I used to get 100, 200 mixtapes pressed up yeah. and sell it to them for $3 a pop. And then they would go take those CDs and sell them for $5 or whatever they wanted to sell them for. Okay. And what, around what, uh, what year was this? That was like 2003, okay, 2004. So, so rap in, in, in the city, in the area still wasn't as cohesive it wasn't that movement that we really see nah, now. it was nowhere. It was still street music, Okay, you know. You had um, a lot of, it was just a different genre to me of rap, mm. rappers, yeah, quality of rappers. Um, you know, it was just, they were really, to be very, very honest with you, Geronimo, they were really like, they were the experiments okay. of the DMV. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Because it wasn't no blueprint. And I, I get into it more about first generation, but, you know, they... They would just say, oh, rap is a thing. Yeah. Let me make some rap. Because this is post, like, as far as people that we saw on TV from here that, like, at the, when they when they were on TV, like, oh, man, they about to blow. So this is post, like, Question Mark Asylum. This is post Nonchalant. Right. You know, post people like that. So it was not, not too, yeah, it was post that, um, but it was ushering in. It was, it was right around that cusp of, when um, you saw labels like No Limit Cash Money kind of taking off in that whole independent street label mm -hmm. type thing mm -hmm. where I hustle, I got a bag of money, I'm about to go out here and flip it and make some music off yeah, of yeah, it. Yeah. So it was right around that time. Okay. You know what I mean? Where that's what they was doing. Yeah. You know, hustling and making music and spending money they ain't know what it costs they ain't know what a studio costs um back then it was probably one or two black owned studios that i remember because i started out at new horizon okay which was a studio off central avenue and hampton mall okay you know and then you had night flight yeah which everybody knows night flight so yeah. um you know there was a couple of spots but it was just it was a completely different genre a different vibe 
and those were the the guys and girls that really like they were the the experiments okay you know what i'm saying like and i wish that they could get recognized and really get the shine because you know it's, it's guys that i brought back from rapping and guys that are still alive mm-hmm. um some have passed on at a uh, section eight my man black indian section eight around, my black indian um that all had deals that all like did amazing amazing things but you know people that rep dmv now they were babies yeah they, they don't know they don't know my first section eight first time i learned about section eight mob i was going to howard mm-hmm. i was walking up the street right by where up against the wall used to be mm-hmm. and i guess one of the guys for section eight mob was somebody who was affiliated with them whoever mm-hmm. he had like a sampler tape passed it to me i was like okay bet mm-hmm. went back listened to it fuck with it mm-hmm. Then I remember when I saw Black Indian, when I saw his video on the box, mm-hmm. get him sight. And ride him, ride him down Benny Road in a yellow yeah, car. Yeah, ride down 295, yeah. all of that. And I was I was so happy to see that. Like, I was sights. I was like, yo, this is like the... <laughs> anytime I see somebody from here right. on a music video, I was like, yo, they about to do it, man. They about to... <laughs> yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, there's such a rich history here um and like people just don't know because you know people that are my age don't educate them mm-hmm. and there's no really no platforms to bring those back out half the videos you can't find right after it wasn't no document no cell phones back then mm-hmm. vhs tapes yeah um which people, is so unfortunate that we we did a terrible job of documenting right. a lot of the creative creativity that was taking place you know from like the 80s on up right you know right and then you know you have tv channels like kavaz tv i remember kavaz on, i remember kavaz you know, t- television and it was just strictly dc videos mm-hmm. interviews mm-hmm. music you know it was the first kind of like dmv network yes. television network yes. for music so you know, it's things like that that, you know, I wish if I if hindsight is twenty twenty, but if I could really go back and document and keep all that stuff I would. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I got tapes somewhere, but <laughs> um but it was just it was a it was a dope time. It was a experimental time. Okay. It was a um you know, it was a tough time. Yeah. You know, so it was we cool. we weren't referring to ourselves as the Middle East yet, were nah, we at this time? Nah, so still this just was, this was way before that. Okay, okay. Um, and then you know people came in and tried to put labels and market it, mm-hmm. and you know, and that's cool. I, I I understand that, but this was way before that. Okay, you know, way before that. So well, let's let's fast forward a little bit. So I had known about you for some years, but okay. when I first met you it was two thousand nine, and a okay. lot of people you talked to out here who were here at that time, mm-hmm. you know, getting busy um, in the creative scene to tell you that that was a very, uh, another magical time. You know, right. a lot was happening. Many of us were just like, you know, throwing stuff at the wall, see if it would stick. It was also when like the term DMV mm-hmm. became very popular mm-hmm. and you heard it everywhere. And it was a few people, a few influential people in um, the music scene, mm-hmm. the hip hop scene here in particular, mm-hmm. who um, definitely champion that you being one of them with the ushering into that you had already had um for the dmv only that mm-hmm. was already going mm-hmm. so what made you decide like let me start this blog highlighting posting all, all these different artists from the area 
I mean, to be very honest, I can, I have no idea. I don't know <laughs> why I started it. Um, maybe I thought there wasn't nothing out there, but mm. then I realized Heat had started her DC website Mumble a couple Souls, months yeah. before I did. Yeah. Because I was never, like, a website dude or anything. Yeah. I just wanted to um, – I really was doing it as a marketing tool for my studio and for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, but then it kind of just took off where, you know, it was an additional site covering music. Yeah. But, you know, between that whole phase of doing mixtapes and, and then 2009, so much music had happened, and then that took over. Um, you know, artists started to break. Boutique labels started popping up, mm-hmm. meaning not street labels, boutique. Yeah. Like when we did Studio 43. Studio 43. And things like that. Yeah. And so... You know, there was a time period, and then, you know, Wale, and then all these. So it was a whole time period of where it was quiet for a while, mm-hmm. and then, boom, out of nowhere, you know what I'm saying? Like, it just blossomed into this whole thing, and I think really the internet was a part of that. And um, Is it fair to say that Studio 43 really helped usher in that, that, that change? Definitely. Especially with, like, the period where... DMV became like the name that was that rang throughout the whole area. Right, that, and studio, and believe me, there were record labels before Studio Forty Three, but Studio Forty Three was a record label. I can't really, really, it wasn't even a record label. It was just some dudes that was doing things a little bit differently. Okay, Kenny Burns, he was the the brainchild behind it, and he had industry connections. Mm-hmm. He knew how to you know, talk to talk mm-hmm. and, you know, politic and um, the name and, and everything. Um, me, I was just really just a producer, creative <laughs> dude, just putting music together, yeah. trying to keep the artist situated, mm-hmm. you know, trying to keep them, you know, getting the product together. He was the dude behind it, you know, pumping it up, putting yeah. the juice behind right, it. Right, right, right. He um, was that marketing guy. Yeah, and so, you know, I got brought in. Um, because of Wale, I met Wale, and um, it, it was awkward how we met. But he ended up calling me and was just like, "Man, I'm because when I met him, it was kind of like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't know you, I don't, you know, whatever, whatever." I was yeah. like, "All right, cool." Yeah. And then he called me a couple of days later, like, "Oh, my bad, man, I ain't know who you was." Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. So I was like, "Whatever." So he came through the studio. And we chopped it up, and we instantly connected. But then um, he was like, man, I'm going I'm to introduce you to Kenny. I think y'all will work good. And as soon as me and Kenny met, you know, we just um, we clicked. And what what year was this? This probably was like 2006. Okay. So right around the time. this Was was this before Dig Dug or right around that time? This was right around that time. Okay, okay. Because um, I, I did some mixing on Dig Dug. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was a lot of records, Dig Dug and... I'm an African mm-hmm. and yep. all these different records. So that's when I came in. Um, My space was still trying popping. to get those together. <laughs> I found and out get up, those tapes together. That's how I found picture. out about 43 and Wale and mm-hmm. whatnot. Because I was living in New York at the time. Okay. And yeah. I was like, who who's this Wale? Because I was on um, what was the, I was uh on I used to be on like all three of the big Go Go discussion boards. So mm-hmm. PA Palace, um, uh, T My Go Go, Take Me Out to the Go Go, mm-hmm. and um um um. <sighs> there was a it was a third one that was like right for my age group. Gotcha. And I cannot think of that name, the name of that one, but they were talking about Wale on them. Like, who mm-hmm. is this dude? So 
I went, I actually came home for a visit, heard the song on the radio, mm-hmm. and I was like, what's this about? Then I went and looked on MySpace, found Wale, then found out about Studio mm-hmm. 43. I'm like, all right, something's bubbling yeah. at home. I don't know what it is, but it, it looks good. Yeah, that was the first, that was the first like label that, you know, it was it was just a different label. Mm-hmm. Mind you, there were other labels out there way before us mm-hmm. and after us, but that was a different label. Okay. And you can't leave out Alize, who was really the DJ that broke, you know. Yes, absolutely. Um, Dig Doug and a lot of those on the radio. So um, it was it was uh, some some real creative and talented dudes mm-hmm. in the mix. Yes. Um, doing things behind the scenes and so yeah that was around that time then you fast forward to 2009 and um you know it was just that was a whole nother (laughs) kind of like vibe because everybody really started to i can rap now i can i can do it too Mm -hmm. um and then to touch on real quick like this whole first generation thing like people don't understand a lot of the rappers that you hear from this area are first-generation rappers. People don't really think about that. Break break that down. All right, so peep this. So I'm 38, mm-hmm. okay? I thought you was going to tell your age, man. Yeah, I'm, whatever. <laughs> you know, I already dated myself, but I'm 38. So um, my father, he was he worked for VA. Mm-hmm. My mother worked for the government. Yeah, as most people's in DC. parents so even in dc you work for the government you work for the federal government city government or you work for metro Mm -hmm. or whatever yeah so and either they were go-go musicians Mm -hmm. or nothing right so think about this in new york you had it's rappers out right now that grandfathers were rappers yes and djs yes so they're third generation Mm mm-hmm some fourth if if they had kids young right but right we're first generation rappers and producers here mm-hmm. hip-hop music yeah. rap music yeah where a lot of these rappers fathers and mothers didn't rap they were government workers government and they they were fans of go-go fans of go-go you know but we're first generation rappers and producers Second generation, I think, has come through with Booby. Booby's son, Nucci rap. Right, right. Nooch. Mm-hmm. He's a second generation. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Booby's father didn't rap, but he's second generation. Right, and it's th- that's a there's a sm- very small number. Very, very, very small. He might be the only one. So, <laughs> so you know, like nonchalant. I don't think she had kids that rap. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Section 8, Black Indian, they had kids that rap. Mm-hmm. While they don't have no kids that rap. Right. So a lot of these kids that are rapping are first-generation rappers. So put that into perspective. Even California, you know, they're third- and fourth-generation musicians. Right, right. We're first-generation rappers. So what does that mean for the, for, the, for the climate of, like, DMV music, DMV hip-hop? What does that What does that mean for that for the climate here? With are basically people still just trying to figure it out? Still trying to figure themselves out, figure mm-hmm. out how to make music, figure out how to make albums, how to make mixtapes, figure out how the music business works. Right. You feel me? I can't call my daddy and ask him to hook me up with a and like we don't know nobody. Mm-hmm. You dig what I'm saying? And it didn't help that you know 
our our history and our lineage, we already didn't like New York, we like New York didn't like DC dudes. That's another. That's a whole nother thing. You know the crack era, right? You which know. still comes into play a lot of times yeah. to this day, and like people ain't really getting money selling drugs no right. more. And it's, and it's still a, it's still an issue. Yeah. So you, know? you have that that issue, and then like I say, it's just first generational rappers that mm-hmm. people don't real keep got they fail to realize that we have second third generation party promoters. Mm-hmm. We have second, third generation go-go musicians. Yes. But in terms of straight up rap music, we're first generation rap music coming out right now. These kids that's 25, mm-hmm. 24, mm-hmm. they're first generation rappers. Where in New York, LA, even Atlanta. Right, even down like, south, yeah. yeah. Florida, <laughs> mm-hmm. they're third generation. Definitely Florida, definitely. So, you know, that's just to put that in perspective. People don't talk about that and they don't really understand that. They think that we already up there, but nah, we like two, three generations behind. Well, I want to, I want to flip it real quick because mm-hmm. we we started off talking a lot about the rappers, um, but since you're a producer, I want to mm-hmm. talk about the producers in DC. And something I, I bring up quite often is how DC has a large number of, of rappers, right? A huge number of rappers, but like some, we've got some of the, like the best producers here, you know, making some of the some of the, the greatest sounds and. Y'all don't get a lot of recognition. I think that's even just across the in- industry um, overall, you know, but specifically talking about this area, I mean, you know, I just wish that, especially this being a place where like live music through go-go and even like jazz and things like that, mm-hmm. like was very prevalent. Mm-hmm. Why, why and how, you know, we can change that. How we can change that, why that happens, you know what I mean? Right, and I, I mean, you know, we've had definitely had successful producers like Chucky Thompson and yes. um, Chink Santana. People forget about Chink mm-hmm. Santana, who, who d- d- did some amazing things with Murder Inc. and all them. Mm-hmm. There's so many dope producers, and I, I think too, it's the same thing goes for producers. They're first generation hip hop music industry producers. Right. Like musicians, we got that all day. Live instrumentation, mm-hmm. bass, keys, whatever, drums, all day. But when in terms of maneuvering through the industry, playing that industry game, you know, it's a completely different monster. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I had to make that conscious decision to stop chasing placements and stop chasing that industry thing, create my own. Yeah. And then that's how I got into Studio Forty Three mm-hmm. and working with Tabby Bonet and doing all my independent stuff, Roddy MC, found Roddy MC. Like, that's how I got into it because I was like, this industry life ain't for me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's tough, man. Yeah. Like, it's, 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 a, it's a dirty game. And I used to, I remember specifically, you know, riding to New York four or five hours, paying tolls for a 20-minute meeting, mm-hmm. and then, you know, they would shit on you. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so I just had a little bit too much self-respect and pride for that, and so I stopped doing that. I just started creating my own. You do you think? I mean? Do you think that that is that tide is changing for some of the producers coming out now from the area, or do you think they've decided to go the same route you go? You're you've gone with just like I'm gonna go independent, I'm gonna create my own lane, and see the production game is a whole nother beast because <laughs> Uh-oh. you know like the whole lease and beats thing the whole selling beats online that's a whole nother 
thing. You okay. know what I mean? So it kind of makes it easy for producers mm. to get sounds out there, which I, I'm not opposed to. But that's a whole nother, you know, like conversation because I don't do that. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Some of the younger producers, they do. But the way I work is a little bit different. So, um, but I think with the internet, man, anybody is getting a beat to anybody. And the question is, are they getting credit and getting paid for it? You dig what I'm saying? But it's never an issue of getting beats to people or sending beats out via email. It's just about, is your business right on it? I mean, I think the craft has probably been, become devalued to where if you're not one of the big names and mm -hmm. you just don't know the value of just the time you've put in and the effort you've mm -hmm. put in to create this beat, you're, you're cool. It's like, all right, give me $150 for this. Give me $25. I only sell my beats for leasing, beat, leasing beats for $25. Really? bucks. I saw one email, because I get these blind emails all the time, like, dude was literally selling like four beats, five beats for $5. But what, just to, just to get his name out there? I don't know what he does. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, you know, like I say, it's, it, it, the producer wasn't from here, mm -hmm. but that's just the I, idea of how music has changed in the production. But D.C. Always, DC and Maryland and Virginia has always had some real dope producers. Um, it's just, you know, I don't really think it was any anything that set us back or anything. It was just the industry. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Industry, how it's swing. And it's uh, still a lot of dope producers out there now, but the industry is just changing and it's different. And there's so many producers, you know. And one thing that I, I when I talk to people is like, with Chucky Thompson should be like, you know, up there for like Pharrell mm -hmm. and Kanye and them. You I know mean, what I'm saying? What 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 he has done <laughs> in music, you know what I mean? Especially R and B. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like I remember when I worked at the Apple store in Georgetown, he came in and he was like, Hey, how you doing? Looking for this, da da da. I was like, Okay, cool, whatever and he was like, You may you may know some of my music. Like I already know who you are. You a legend in my eyes. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I've I've followed you from Joe to see all the way up, right, you know what right, I mean? Right, right. <laughs> like, right. Of course, the, the industry too is like, what you got out now? Yeah. They don't care about what you done. Mm -hmm. They don't care about credits, they don't care about liner notes, they don't care about awards. Especially because you don't even get the C credits and liner notes now. They don't care about <laughs> none of that. And so, you know, I just, me, I just was the type to like, you know, I kind of know where this is going. Let me just do my own thing, create okay. my own economy, create mm -hmm. my own projects, because I don't want anybody dictating the credits and dictating how long it lives. Yeah, because even on a macro level, on a larger <coughs> scale, I've been seeing on Twitter a number of rappers, um, independent guys, but still they, they're just like, basically they were saying like everybody's giving showing love to a lot of these rappers who really can't rap that well but you 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 rock with their songs because the producers behind them are like making that thing bump yeah, you know what i mean of, and it's just like we got to show love to the producers mm -hmm. we got to show more love to the producers you right. know what i mean but then also too producers have to start showing love to themselves okay. and so you know they got to stop letting people play them and jerk them yeah. and using their records to tour and make hundreds and thousands of million dollars off and they're only seeing 5,000, 10,000. Like those are producer, what the numbers are. Producers wow. need to really 
start loving themselves mm-hmm. and saying, all right, since you're trying to play me, I can't work with you. Mm-hmm. I may miss out, but I'm a little bit more, I'm worth more than that. Right. Until that happens, then, you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. So, you know, and, and that's the thing for me. Like, I don't work with people unless they come see me mm-hmm. in the studio. I sit and talk with them, look at them in the eye. They look me in the eye. I don't email beats to nobody. And that's something I, I always no that's something I always appreciate about how you work. Like you've always been you've been consistent with that. Like even with people I say we're interested in working with you, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, we gotta set up a meeting because mm-hmm. I like to sit down and like flesh this whole thing out. You right. know, we and not, it's very important, you know what I mean? Because it just adds value value to the whole process. And then also too, you can understand why I charge so much mm-hmm. or why I charge a certain amount. But then also too, it's just it kind of um, it kind of it 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 makes things a little bit more understandable and clear and transparent mm. at the end of the day. And so you know that's how I work. You come see me, I'll come to you. Fly me out there, we work. We can meet up somewhere, work. Come to D.C., work. Um, and if I do email you something, we've had to have to work before or, or, or had many a conversations and to get on a comfortable level with me sending you something. Okay. Because I like to be there when you're recording. I like to mix. I like to master. So, you know, it's just a lot of things. And I miss out on money. I don't care. You know what I'm saying? Like, I really just needed to come out and be a certain way for me yeah. to be happy. I mean, that's probably what's kept you in it for so long. You're not yeah. you're not chasing the money in a way that's that's unhealthy. Yeah, and I think, too, that's another thing, like, um, I was talking to somebody before. It's just that, you know, they were like, man, damn, man, you, you don't look stressed. You're not stressing. you like, nah, it's that yoga. I don't have no Yeah, the yoga. <laughs> yoga and the oatmeal. The yoga, the oatmeal, no <laughs> drinking. But also, too, it's just I kind of dictate I dictate the situation, mm-hmm. so I don't have a lot of stress. I don't have to worry about you know, Bama's not giving me credit, taking beats and ripping and running and touring off of them. I dictate it, so it's kind of makes it easy on my life. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So that's just how I like to move. Other producers are different, but okay. producers got to start loving themselves. Absolutely, you know? absolutely, got to definitely appreciate the same work you putting in so yeah. that you can get it back. Uh, so let's move into a uh, critical place theory. So any first time listeners, critical place theory is the segment of the show where we ask our guests three things they love and three things they hate about the city that they live in. So I know this this gentleman, he's he's transatlantic. So I don't know if he's going to do both cities or uh, he's just going to do the one. But we'll see. So go ahead and start with the good and the bad. Good or the bad, rather. Right. The good is the amount of talent that we have in, in D.C. and Maryland and Virginia. It's just the amount of talent. It's just, you know, it's, it's so much talent here. Um, the bad is they don't understand how talented they are. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And they don't, you know, they don't, from what I see, you know, it's just understanding your worth. Yes. And understanding, you know how to really market and, and and monetize yourself in a way where you know you're wealthy mm-hmm. and so that's the that's the thing and and i'm in london and paris a lot and so over there one thing that i love about it is you know they really just love music mm-hmm. you know it's not trapped out it's not migos all yeah. day they really love music when mm-hmm. i'm over there 
I was selling some mine. When I'm over there, I make a lot of disco, pop, okay. electronic, Italian disco. Um, I do like animation videos. Wow. Like, okay. it's so different over there. Yeah. And they really just love the art form, the creativity of it. You know, you can go over there and do. There's so many, and, and I'll put this into perspective. There's so many records that most people haven't heard mm -hmm. because it's not on their playlist or in their usual queue of music that they listen to. Mm -hmm. but there's so much other music that's being released and selling millions and hundreds of thousands of yes, copies yes. and making me wealthy, making artists wealthy, but you wouldn't know it because Spotify hasn't given you that algorithm to only feed you these types of songs mm -hmm. because that's what you listen to. So just keep that in mind. It's like when you're listening to music, just imagine of all the music that you haven't heard mm -hmm. because you don't know it exists. Because iTunes, Spotify, Tidal, they have an algorithm to see what you play every day. Mm -hmm. And they're going to feed those type of songs to you. In terms of like, you know, what's new, right. you know, what's for you, right. all of that. Recently played, mm -hmm. re new release. It's an it's a actual algorithm for that. Mm -hmm. Unless you sit there and search your name yourself and pull it up yourself, mm -hmm. they're going to keep feeding you what you already listened to. Yeah. So just imagine like how much music is released that goes gold and platinum in other countries and cities, you know, and you don't even know it exists. I mean, I'm thinking about somebody, um, it's another uh, DMV native, um, Odyssey. Odyssey. Like, he's killing it overseas. Yeah, and killing funny it. thing about Odyssey, I'm in London. I'm promoting a record and working and doing stuff. I go on Starbucks, bump into him. Mm -hmm. He coming out of stuff. In London, in <laughs> West London of all oh, places. All places. Not on U Street, not on, you know, not in Georgetown. Yeah. I'm in London with some London natives. I go on Starbucks. He coming out of Starbucks. Dog, dog, what, what's up? <laughs> How crazy is that? Nah, that's always great when you go to places like that and you see somebody you know from home. Crazy. You know? But he's another brother that, um, you know, it's just like, I'm going to create my own projects. Mm -hmm. And that's what, you know, I, I took a piece page out of that book. Um, and, you know, it's just like, it's one of those things, man, where you're just like, you're happier, you're wealthier. Mm -hmm. You know, you got peace of mind, and, um, you know, it's just when you get up there in age, you start seeing what makes what really, what really matters, matters. Yeah. and what really doesn't matter, mm -hmm. and then you know all this stuff is a farce and it's fake, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, it's not real. It's not a real situation, a real-life situation, so. Okay. Well, that's one. Yeah. That's one. So mm -hmm. what's, give me give me a second one. Um, that I love and hate. Yeah. Um, one thing that I love about the area is it's a, the pride that we have to be from here. We're very prideful, yes. pride, prideful people. Absolutely. So, um, I take it with me everywhere I go. Yeah, we have such a pride, but on the flip side, of that pride can have us a lot of doors closed in our face because we're like, I'm from D.C., motherfucker. You, you better respect me. You better know I'm, you know, mm -hmm. we real niggas down there. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And that's the flip side of pride. But you know why that is? Because for so long, we had like, 
how every every day on Twitter you say create your own economy. Like we had our own c economy down mm -hmm. here for so long, we mm -hmm. didn't really need to work with anybody right. from outside. But now the tide has changed, where it's like okay, we got to do work with the rest of the world. Right. But we still got that stubborn pride. Like hold up. Yeah, we're very <laughs> prideful people and very you know strong-minded, and we think we're the hardest human beings on earth. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that, but sometimes that messes us up in the industry. Absolutely. And so, um, I mean, that's that's number two. Okay. You know what I'm saying? No, no, the, the third is, um, and I never, I've always say this, is that how many other places can you be from where you have your own music? It's very true. It's not a lot of places. That not too own. many places in the world yeah. that have their own style of music. Yeah, I I can't think of any place. I can I can think of some, but that's so like unique mm -hmm. and specific that when people bring up DC, they bring up Correct. go go. Right. You know what I mean. So just think how amazing that that'll never happen ever again. Mm -hmm. Like nothing's new under the sun anymore. Right. So like that's an amazing amazing accomplishment to be from an area that has its own unique musical genre mm -hmm. you know what i mean um the flip side of that <laughs> i mean i can give you a flip side of everything but the flip side of that is that's all they think you do that's all they think you're good for yeah i mean i i get it and i ain't never played in a go-go band in right. my life Right. People still hit me with like, oh, what you be listening to Go-Go? I was like, I actually do. But right. if you look at my playlist and what I'm listening to, I could talk to you about a whole host of genres and right. artists and whatnot. You know right. what I mean? It's completely different, you know? And then, um, I mean, London and Paris, um, I really just like the creative freedom that you have out there um, to work your value they pay you what your value you know your value is and mm -hmm. there's no questions asked mm -hmm. you know no questions asked um the flip side of it is um the exposure you know over in london and Paris, they say oh you got them to make it you gotta blow up in the u.s okay that's how they look at okay. music over there okay. you can be huge in Paris or london but if you're from over there mm -hmm. The only way to be classified as a superstar is to make it in the U.S. So, like the 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 who's who's the biggest uh, rapper out of the U.K. right now? I mean, you what's the the, the grime scene yeah. like Skepta and all them? You know. So what I mean? Skepta isn't looked at as a superstar over there because he hasn't like. No, he he has success here in the states. Right, right, right. So he's looked at as like a superstar now. Now, right, right. Because but before, before if you yeah. weren't into that. Correct. If you Correct. if you weren't into that as a, as a U.S. resident, a hip hop listener from here, you prime example Dizzy Rascal. Dizzy, got, another you one. Know, yes. Like he came out years ago, mm -hmm. but he had success here, and he was like the man. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But he was doing that over there for a long time. But they didn't say, "Oh, you're successful," until you blow up in the United States. Interesting. So I didn't yeah. I didn't think that that really. Because, like you said, you can you could make a, have a very productive, lucrative career over, it, over there without even having to deal with the U.S. Definitely. But from a fan perspective, that placing on the pedestal doesn't really come in until you get that same industry recognition in the, there, in the U.S. The industry over there, they don't recognize you as like a super superstar until you blow up over here. Adele, like she from over there, mm -hmm. Amy Winehouse. Yep, they were doing this way before, but they came over here and blew up. 
out the out the roof. Wow. So that's that's people people don't realize that either. But you wouldn't know that unless you listen to music other places mm-hmm. and knew how other places work. Right. That's how it works. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So, um, I mean, and, and it's just, it's, it's, you know, every place has its pros and cons, but those are some of the things that I want people to really take away and, and really think about. You well, know what I'm saying? One, before I get into just like the work that you are, the work you're doing exactly over in London and Paris, mm-hmm. um, I want to ask you, a lot of people say this for the end, but I want to know, who are your top five producers in any order? Man. It's not a question you hear often. Right. Um, I mean, it's, it's difficult because I like producers for certain things, but I think, like, Dre is up there, Pharrell. Mm-hmm. Um, Pharrell's on my list. Curtis Mayfield. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, people don't realize, like, he was – and I, I, I don't want to – I can kind of lump some guys together, but I would, like, put Curtis, Donny Hathaway mm-hmm. – Quincy Jones, absolutely. All Quincy. Like, you know Quincy's what I'm saying? Quincy's on my list too. Um, cast like that, and then uh, I think Pharrell, Timbo. If mm-hmm. I can lump them all together, because they really changed the way radio sound. You know that whole that whole tire water region yeah. of them guys yeah. and, and Teddy girls. Riley. If I can put <laughs> Teddy Riley, Pharrell, and Timbo together. Um, and then if I if I was to lump another group, it would be and and these groups can be one through five, but like the Just Blaze, the Kanye, mm-hmm. you know, everybody what I'm who saying? came through that Rockefeller camp, you know, yeah. like that's a. And then you have another lump of like Primo and Pete Rock. Primo's on my list, you know. So um, I I mean that's a tough question. It's just so many dope producers. Um, I really hope that we preserve what they've done mm-hmm. and, you know, sh- give them li- light and, and really shine some light on what they've done. But that's some of my top guys. And also, like, people, when they talk about producers, they don't really say this man's name, but he was one probably one of the best producers and best musicians was Chuck Brown. You know what I'm saying? So Absolutely. I put him Rest up, in up peace there to Chuck. as well. Yeah, because he was a – I mean – the man created wind me up chuck like you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah like think about that and like really listen to how that song is structured how how the whole thing just flows yeah like, Which, and a lot of people like i'm no producer but I, I i say i listen to music in the way that producers listen to stuff and like to everything from like the engineering down to the actual like and the the, the instruments and everything you know what yeah. i mean and just thinking of you bringing that up and thinking about i'm just like yeah my, yeah just, Understand that man made a record that Pharrell replayed. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like this man created "Wind Me Up," Chuck. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I remember seeing Chuck Brown on BET Jazz playing nothing but jazz yes. music. Yes, yes. Not go go. Right. Not Latin music. Jazz. He could play all the music that influenced the genre of go go. Right. He could play. He could play it individually you know completely separate mm-hmm. so like he's up there as, as far as producers but i mean you know it's just that's a tough question but i would lump guys together because they really influenced me um you know there's some other producers that really influ- influenced me in terms of um like of course dilla i really like dilla um another another know. talented another amazing legend that 
Right. Gone so, too soon, man. Yeah, just so many cats that really have their, they've had their parts mm -hmm. in my development, but I mean, it's a lot of cats. A lot okay. Of I'm, I'm sure the list is yeah. even longer, but yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So you out in London now, mm -hmm. um, also, also Paris. So talk about the work you're doing out there and just how you came up on, on this, this, this opportunity, this situation. Cause I know when you told me about it, I was just like, Mm -hmm. How you get out there? <laughs> right. How long you been out there, so man? It, it really started from a record that I did, I think like 2010 or somewhere, 2011, 2010, called Sundresses and Sandals. Sundresses and Sandals. Right. It's a record that I did that I tried to get to like Tabby and B.O.B. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and some of those artists, and none of them really wanted it. And so you, you ended up rapping on it. I ended up rapping on it and doing the marketing behind it and getting it to like Quicksilver, Analyze, Quicksilver was really instrumental in getting that record on the radio, and it played all that summer. And then um, I had did some shows, and it got some plays overseas. And then um, I started getting calls. Mm -hmm. And so it was just like, man, we're trying to get you as a producer, London EMI. So, you know, I went over there, had some meetings, and I've been over there since just making music, mm -hmm. working on a production. It's not a production team, but it's w a thing where – They'll fly you over there, and it's just like a building like we're in right now, and it's just different studios, mm -hmm. and you're just creating for artists that sign to the label, mm -hmm. getting developed. They still develop over there. Um, wow. Do artist development, and art, independent artists that may have label deals through the label. Okay. Like, you know, it's just kind of like a, f a creative farm, a farming system. So Kind of like what labels used to do Yeah, what labels US. used to do, so... <laughs> Over there, and then um, I did some video game stuff over there, like Saints Row, UFC, mm -hmm. so a lot of those games and animation, kids animations. Like, you do so much different work just from being over there. Um, I did a record for Kelly Rowland, two records for Kelly Rowland, okay. records for, like, Rita Ora, um, back when she was on uh, Rock Nation. Mm -hmm. That ain't no more, so. Um, but it's just a lot of different opportunities and it's a way for me to be creative and not have to really worry about one genre. Mm -hmm. I can just go over there and work. Also, too, another thing that kind of popped off for me is when I did the Amber Rose instrumentals. Yes, yes. And then that took uh, the guy that I was dealing with over there, and I've been trying to just make sure he's good, is Dub MD. He's based out of London. Mm -hmm. And Dub MD was the brainchild behind, like, the artwork and sending it out to all the sites and so things like that that happened and he was london based so um something i want to know about the amber rose instrumentals did she did she ever hear did it ever get to her so i've gotten a couple emails mm. about uh well, i got one email about a cease and desist okay and then i also got an email about you know she heard it she, you know she's interested in it mm -hmm. blah 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 let's talk and that was just really just off me meeting her a couple of times, South by Southwest okay. and a couple other places. Okay. So you did actually meet her. Okay. And I was always intrigued with her. Yeah. Because this was around the time where she wasn't talking. Yeah. She was with and Kanye. She, she, and she Kanye, wasn't yeah. talking. Right. She was just standing there quiet. She was like a And everybody a was like. Android. Yeah. <laughs> everybody was like, who is shawty? Yeah. She's yeah. bad. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I did it. Okay. And that was way before that's the Amber Rose we know today. Mm-hmm. And so she was my muse for that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, later on, I went and did, like, the Lapita instrumentals. Yes, Because she was the it girl. And, you know, and so things like that that I created, 
help me stay over there, help me get money, help me stay working and doing certain things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's 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 a situation where I create I created myself and I sustain it with projects and just working and just trying to be creative. You know okay. what I mean? Okay. So it's good for me to get some money and stay traveling and you know stay creative. I see. Um, since you've been out there, you've been talking a lot about watches. Right, right, right. And <laughs> I know? got a, a huge and and you know you just you grow up. You yeah. s- you you know you just experience certain things. I'm not big on accessories, right? Mm-hmm. But I keep being told, especially by some very fashionable women that I know, like you mm-hmm. need to accessorize. It's good. So I was like, right. well, if what accessory would I be into if I were going to be into one? Right. And so I said it would have to be a watch because me just being the technical mind that I am, it's like, I just have to have something that's practical. Right. Like, you know, yeah, there could be belts, chains, rings, whatever, but like, I don't like a lot of stuff on, on like right. that. But a watch, like, that's practical right. to me because it can, it serves more than just the purpose of just a look. And people don't realize too, watches are great investments when you get the right watch. Mm-hmm. So I can pass this watch down to my, you know, kid, son, daughter, you know, if I ever come across a hard time, I could sell it and get the value. What's, what's the, what kind of watch you have on today? This is a Rolex Datejust um, 1603. Mm-hmm. I got this watch um, because this is a this is a 1603 Datejust two tone, and this watch was manufactured uh, in a production line of like 1978, mm-hmm. and that's my birth year. Yeah, and so I'll say I wanted to get a Rolex that was produced in my birth year. Okay, so it was vintage. Vintage. Okay. And it's a milestone piece because, you know, I had a real good year, probably like two years ago, just creativity-wise mm-hmm. and just, you know, what I what I made that year. And so I treated myself and I said I wanted to get something, you know, to commemorate my birth year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I hunted this thing down. I was patient and waited and the value you keep it clean you keep it serviced you know the value of this thing is only gonna go up right you dig what i'm saying you got that in europe you got that in the u.s um i got this actually in california okay but a dealer you know he flew bought it from Paris. okay i met i was in california and i got it in california so you know i was looking for this thing for probably about two years so just in your so in your own personal growth, you know, mm-hmm. Judah, how is um being out in London and Paris, how has that influenced that? Um, I mean, it just made me realize and think more about life, think more about why I'm here, mm-hmm. the understanding of, um, you know, treating yourself. Yes. But also living within your means. And then also, you know, um, it just gave me a, a, a sense, a culture experience that I've never experienced until I started leaving here. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, I was I was fortunate enough to, at 16, 17, go to Pittsburgh and stay and play football and get an education. And then after that, that kind of opened my eyes up to, like, I can leave the area and yeah, be okay. And see how other people live right, and right. what happens elsewhere. Right. Yeah. And so I could, I could do it. Mm-hmm. And I can fit in, and I can make a life for myself and be successful. Um, and then, you know, it just kind of had me understand that what I determine success is I'm 17 years studio owner, mm-hmm. probably one of the only black-owned studios this long mm-hmm. in the area, mm-hmm. um, besides when we had Night Flight. But my studio been open for 17 years. Yeah. Um, 
Never shut through all, down. Through all yeah. those iterations yeah. of like never shut DMV, down. DC, hip hop. Right, never shut down, still open. Um, you know, and so like it just had me realize that there's other things out there. There's m- plenty of ways to get money. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of ways of getting your ideas out. There's plenty of ways to um, create an economy for yourself. You just can't be afraid to go get it. Absolutely. And then also, too, you know, if you haven't, like, been in Italy or been to Paris or been in London and drink and eat bruschetta from Italy or gelato from, you know, Paris or, you know, like, eat pasta mm-hmm. in Venice, like, Real life handmade yeah, pasta. Yeah, yeah, like it's it's an experience that you'll never be able to duplicate or, or or say like I've done that. Right, right. You know what I mean? And so it's really helped me. And then also when I come back here, I kind of try to you know not and educate people like man, get out of here. Yeah, just you you are a living, breathing example of yeah, get out what, of here. Because I even say because I was going to ask next, you know, just as a black man. Mm-hmm. Um, actually just black person because mm-hmm. i know a lot of black people they are very hesitant reluctant to travel to places such as a paris and italy mm-hmm. um a london you know whether it be for just they've heard some things or just they watch too much tv right you know right. what i mean so yeah. what has that been like for you like any pros cons that you've experienced in in, in your travels thus far over there i you know i know cats that haven't even been on a plane yeah I do too. They don't. They don't even know how to get a passport. Right. Unfortunately, some can't get passports because they're felons. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, like you know, if you have an opportunity to do it, and that's what I mean by we're first generation everything. Mm-hmm. You dig what I'm saying? Our parents work government, metro bus drivers, work whatever. Mm-hmm. They very rarely had the opportunity or the money to go on a month vacation right and if they did when they did go it was like a cruise to the, yeah, in the caribbean be, you know or go down south yeah you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. family reunion mm-hmm. so it's a different now 2017 our outlook is different yes. than our parents yes you know what absolutely. i'm saying we don't want to work government mm-hmm. we don't want to be metro bus drivers mm-hmm. work for metro we want to be creative. We yeah. want to control our own destiny. We want to get up when we get up, travel when we want. So that has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, I think, and that's the new, the new culture, the new vibe. It's like I don't want work. I yeah. want to make music. Yeah, you know what I'm I saying. Want, I want to hustle. I want to. I want to, as you say, create my own economy. But the music has transformed in, into something that will allow you to do that because yes. now all you need is a mac and a microphone mm-hmm. and you can make an album yeah so i don't have to work for four months to save up to get a digital recorder and an mpc that costs ten thousand dollars yeah i don't have to do that no more right i literally can get a, a mac off of craigslist yeah for 300 bucks <laughs> a 40 dollar microphone yeah and i can make an album and I don't good. have to work for that. Right. I can go out, hustle, sell some shoes online, mm-hmm. and buy a studio. Think just, about that. That's just crazy. like that. Just like that. So that's what music has turned into, where kids don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. They don't have to work. Mm-hmm. So that's the evolution of this thing. Right. Right. So you know, it it is what it is. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Adapt well, or die. You know. Right. 
and I think a lot of people adapt change is hard for most people you know what I mean mm -hmm. even thinking back to how you just said um a lot of people can't get passports a lot of people haven't been on planes so you know um backyard with um with um in conjunction with the um the Adinkra group they are hosting a trip to Ghana okay next March mm -hmm. like late February early March and to the capital Accra and um I just found out about it. I was like, what? I wish I had known about, known about this sooner. I'm still trying to, like, I'm going to figure out how I'm going to get on this trip. Right. Because for me, it's about going to hear and, and see Go-Go being performed live in Africa. Right. Like, for anybody who knows, it's like the cultural history of black music, mm -hmm. you know what I mean, through the diaspora, how important that is. Right. To be, right. How important that would be to witness, you know what I mean? I think, well, damn, like, I wanted to, like, how many of their fans are going to go make the effort to go on this trip because you know you know they'll go to Miami. Right. They'll even go down to Puerto Rico. At the, I think they did a, a trip, uh, a, a trip Dominican yeah. Republic this year. And I'm just like, but y'all, are y'all going to go across that Atlantic? Yeah, but they, and I guarantee you, them African folks going to be like jamming. Absolutely. It's, it's Absolutely. African rhythm. You right. You know what I'm saying? Latin African rhythm. So they going to love it. Mm -hmm. So you know, I, I'm interested to see. Who goes? How many people go? But. I I, w I hope that a good majority of their fan base who goes to these other places that are a little closer make that effort, right? You know, and 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 got on that payment plan and right. will make it happen because you know, just for all the reasons, just to like go to a place where you know you don't often hear about right. people going to, you know, or like no one you may know has gone or like go to a place where you potentially could have ancestry I'm trying you to know what I mean because they even offering like a, a bundling in the package like um and a DNA test hmm. you know what I mean a paternal DNA test and I was like yo like I'm gonna figure out a way to get on this trip right this late in the game right. but um that's dope I think just like I said you being a living breathing example of just like getting outside of like your origin and like using the world to create and help boost your creativity and your work mm -hmm. to make you just a better person right. you know what i mean i think that's important I, and I think it's it's key for people like yourself to be that living breathing example to show that so you know you might not encourage like thousands but if you can get a few mm -hmm. that's still better than nothing just keep you know doing what i mean? doing having fun and you know my thing is you know i i it's all about progression i have i have a huge abundance of patience though mm. too so i'm not in no rush to do anything um, i'm very patient with it and have fun with it and take my time and if you're not if you're in the music and you don't you you know you can't wait around for 10 20 years then it ain't gonna happen for you you gotta be you know patient I gotta know what inspires you, man. Cause you you you've, you've I mean, had you've had a lot of ups and downs in your career. You right, know what I mean. Like right. I I know I know a few more details about your story than what we've even discussed today. But right. like, you know, I just want to know what keeps you going through all of this, man. I mean, the thing for me is just, you know, I have to creativity wise, I have to just get something out. And if I can find a way to create it and mm -hmm. get it out in a platform, I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, that's all it is. And I just, I love the process of making beats. Mm -hmm. I love the process of recording. Mm -hmm. I love the process of mixing records. And so that's really what I love. I love the process. Yes. I don't really love the music industry. I don't love it like that. I just love the process of making music. Mm -hmm. 
So that's why I do it, because I'm always learning something every day. I learn something new. Um, I learn something different. Um, a lot of these youngins keep me in a mix, you know, mixing their records yeah. and, you know, helping them. Even though I'm not producing it, they like, Judah, what can I do to make the beat better? Mm-hmm. You know, things like that. So the youngins keep me into it. But I pace myself. I have fun. I get inspired by some of the stuff that's released. Um, and I just just keep keep at it. Keep doing it. Keep having fun. Keep creating and it's you know it's never because I never came into this like oh man I need to be Kanye or Pharrell. <laughs> I never came into it like that. Yeah, I always wanted a career like Alchemist. Okay, or Primo. Right, or, right. You know, who, who for people who 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 love the genre and love and love those guys like they've made great careers for themselves right. and like have done amazing work on a lot of people's records. That's my thing. I never really wanted to be front and center. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be like Alchemist. Yes. You know, I wanted to make beats. I listen to. I listen to his. I still to this day. Anytime he puts out one of them rappers' best friend mm-hmm. tapes, I mm-hmm. listen to it. Uh, <laughs> infantry, first infantry, like he was one of the cats that was putting out um, compilation albums from mm-hmm. producers. Mm-hmm. Prince Paul, like I just wanted to be like those guys because they wasn't always in a video. They wasn't rapping, singing. They did. They wasn't bigger, trying to be bigger than their music. Mm-hmm. They wanted the music to speak for it, and then they were kind of in the back chilling. Yeah. That's always what I wanted to be. I never wanted to be that guy, like, in the front, like, hey, you know. So my expectations, I've met and exceeded them because I never wanted to be anything other than just producer and sit and chill. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So that's that's how I look at it. Well, I know you got I know you got some kind of free time on your hands out there when you're overseas and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Like, so what, what are you listening to and watching watching these days? Um, watching. I mean, I I really like. Um, I look at I look at a lot of YouTube. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? What, what you checking out on YouTube? A lot of YouTube, like engineering videos, okay. beat videos mixing videos um interviews uh i make it a a goal to like research something every month so um last month it was like well i remember like one of the most impactful things for me when i researched was when i was doing research on david bowie like years Mm -hmm. ago Mm -hmm. and then i realized that david bowie um young americans album was a soul album Okay. And I'm going to tell you why it was a soul album. Because it was a soul album that was written by all blacks. Okay. Black writers, mm-hmm. producers in New York. And it was written by Luther Vandross. Really? And if you listen to the album, you can hear Luther Vandross doing background for David Bowie. I'm, I'm about to go. I'm about to listen to that. Young Americans. Young listen Americans. To it. Okay. And so um, – I make it a, a goal to research something every month, okay. an artist, a genre, something different. Mm-hmm. You know, I go to liner notes and look up musicians and then research them. So that's what I do monthly. You know, opposed to just a lot of self, self um, wealth type stuff like the gym and yeah. yoga and. You well, know, I know the sleeping, fitness. You 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 got that. Ten hours. That you ain't know, like, that ain't going no way with you. But <laughs> yeah, I just like the research stuff. Look at videos. I look at some TV. I'm a sports dude, so right, I look right. at sports. Um, but and then listening wise, like whatever I'm researching, that's what I listen to. Okay. So David Bowie, at that point in time, I listened. Um, 
I was researching like um, uh, Barry White mm-hmm. like uh, last month, like his lineage and the Philadelphia Soul Harmonic, like that whole um, gambling huff and yeah. all that. So I was researching that and just research. And so when I'm researching, that's what I'm listening to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still listen to the youngest that come out too. You know, like I did a whole month where I was listening to nothing but the XXL freshman cover okay. just to see what they was doing just to see what, what, who what, i liked yeah. who i didn't like so it's things like that that i do who who, who did you like on the, the most recent cover i like the made in tokyo dude okay. he got some jams um i like kamaya mm-hmm. i think she's yeah, I, dope. I fuck she with got kamaya. Some, a couple jams you know what i mean yeah um um what's the dude the, i mean magnolia that joint crank playboy cardi yeah that's the only one that cranked to me, <laughs> but I see why. Yeah, but you know, everybody got their own thing, and I don't, I don't really get into that. I, you know, whatever, you know, what I'm saying. But I listen to it. Okay. To say I listen to it, yeah. To really be up on it. Yeah, so. I do the same thing. Yeah. I, I go through yeah. and like, you know, I got, I got some young people around me to listen to this, isn't I'm like, all right, I listen, I listen, just to see what's what, you know. Right. Okay. Right. So all I right. listen to it definitely. Okay. Well, what's next for you, man? What, what can we expect to see from Judah? Um, or here, <laughs> even? Just, I think, just more music, more projects. I got a new instrumental album coming out. Okay. Doing more animations, more video games. Um, still, I'm, I'm trying to find a unicorn musically, that one artist that I can really rock with mm-hmm. and um, do some stuff with. So I'm trying to look for that as well. Um, and just, just keep being creative and it's going to come to me. You know what I'm saying? It's going, it's definitely going to come and just keep doing it, you know, keep doing it, keep creating, keep vibing out. Um, just keep the name out there. Keep the studio open, Mm -hmm. keep having fun. You know what I mean? So that's all I, I I don't really be like, Oh, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that because. Nobody know what you're gonna do yeah. until it's done. You just let out. it come organically, right? And a lot I mean? of times, a lot of music that I do, I don't even listen to once it's released. You really, know, a lot of the remixes I did for Rock Nation, like that Viva La Hove and um, the Amy Winehouse and Nas remix project, and all that stuff, like I don't even listen. I I do it, give it to the company. I don't even listen to a lot of man. That go stuff. back and listen to Viva La, La Hove, man. That that's one of my favorite projects from you. That's the. That's not even for me. Well, the the, the I know you did the track I did a, with it. a record yeah, yeah, yeah. on there, but it was like Knife Wonder. A lot of other yeah. producers on there that they reached out to to do you know remixes and and I was just blessed enough to mm. be recontacted to do the joint and man it was go good. go back and listen. I don't know. It might it might you know might make you feel away. Yeah, and <laughs> I mean that joint. They say that's a classic. Yeah, it is. For it that is. time, like, they say that's a classic. It was like 2008 that came out, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 2008. Um, yeah. All right, well, tell everybody where they can find you. Jude on the Beats, um, J-U-D-A-H, on the Beats. That's Twitter. I don't have anything else. That's <laughs> all I got. Um, and you can just go on uh, Judah.bandcamp. My whole discography is up there. Um, and that's where a lot of people buy my music from, listen yes. to the stuff that I've done. Um, just create my own economy. You can go on in at sciencelab.com, T-H-E-S-Y-E-N-C-E, lab, 
com. That's for the studio in Clinton, Maryland. And, you know, we just take it day by day, have fun. and You forgot the blog, man. And, and <laughs> www.forthedmvonly.com, too. You know, that still do it does pretty good, and it's an outlet um, for a lot of artists because, you know, the blog game is done, Yeah, you know. So, um, but, yeah, that's it, man. All right, well. But Jim. I appreciate you, though, too. One thing I can't say about you, you stuck with it. Yeah. You stayed with it. <laughs> it's been and rough. I'm going to be honest. I don't want to put you in the spot, but I remember having a conversation with you where I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what's next. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I'm going to go. Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do. And you always find your way to be here, and you always find your way to be doing something. So I'm happy for you. I'm proud of you. Thank you. And, Thank um, you. And I say, you know, he used to, like, all the time, every time, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know where I'm going to go. <laughs> I'm confused. Like I'm being honest. Though. Nah, I know. I'm, I'm, I remember. And, and you always find a way to, and that's that's you're doing exactly what I'm doing. You just find a way to get out your ideas. Yeah, that's all we can do. Absolutely. Because when we get old and we can't do it no more, we can say we did it. Absolutely. So I applaud you, man. Thank you. I appreciate. Uh, I, mean, I appreciate the good words, it's man. Good. I appreciate you once again for coming in. You know, sharing portion of your story right. with the people you I know what i mean it. yeah no doubt the all the fly kids show was powered by fairground creative media and is recorded at the innovator studio inside impact hub located in the pen quarter section of downtown dc engineered by backpack matt and ryan gordon and produced by geronimo nose me you can subscribe to and listen to this podcast on soundcloud itunes google play stitcher mixcloud and spreaker tell a friend and pay it forward